Hey, what's up? This is Dark Days Radio number 45. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. Hello. And I'm also joined by, straight from Australia, Peter Marshall. Hey, how you doing? You sound a little uh, low energy there, Peter. Oh, just slightly. Had a went to a wedding last night, and there was yeah, there was copious amounts of drinking because <clears throat> we're in Australia, and yeah. <laughs> and I'm also I'm also rubbing up against um, daylight savings as well. Oh, right on! And you still that, woke up for Darker Days Radio. Still, we appreciate I it. Still woke up. It's 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 eight a.m. local time, and I woke up on Is a Sunday. Darker Days. That's across three continents. Possibly so. Um, it might be. I don't know. Actually, probably not because um, I remember back in back in the day with um, with my man Adrian. I remember uh, he would do some of them, and I think what is yes. it when you had when you had Mike and Vince? Uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, no, 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 no. It was uh, it was uh, <clears throat> Dark Days Radio episode number sixteen, talking about Changeling the Dreaming, where they yeah. had uh, Chris in America. Mark was up in. Uh, in England, and we also yeah. had Adrian in Australia. Yeah, so, and Vince as well. Yeah, so that was right. So yeah, sorry, that was that was Vince, not Mark. I was I played I, I played hungover, Your Honor. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, yeah. So this is gonna be kind of a weird episode because um, I'll just take the blame for not really preparing well. So <laughs> um, news, psh, we'll cover that next episode. We're gonna have one in like a week or so talking to David Hill anyway. Yeah, I think the only news to really say is like, you know, go to the White Wolf blog. There's some stuff, certain things being okay by CCP right now, like God Machine Chronicle, because I actually went to the blog, um, and you know, various things are in the works. You know, like the latest Mummy books coming out. So obviously, the main thing to say, uh, the Mummy Virtual Box set is available on Drive Through RPG. Nice. So yep. if you haven't got it, go get it. If you haven't got it, when you go get it. Use our ID and give us some gamer credit because it'd be nice to give away a prize, which we may talk about at the end of the show on what the competition is. Or I think when we actually think up a good enough competition, we'll just make it available <laughs> on the. Uh, it'll be on the blog or on the on the feed, and people can get a free copy of. Uh, I think we're going to try and make it to be Mummy the Curse, an True. actual copy of the box set. Yeah, because we've got a shit ton of gamer credit there. So. Yeah, that's about it, really. I can think news-wise. Yeah, um, I also know that what is it? The uh, what is it? Hunters Hunted Two is apparently chugging along quite well. I've just I've just received my um, my backer survey. So you know, for my for all oh, um, right you know, for the shipping stuff and for where the and for what name I want on the special thanks. So that, that's quite good. And apparently, let me bring this up here. We're out recruiting a lot of awesome people for the fiction anthology. Such as Wait. Richard Dansky. That's right, Rich Dansky's back. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely good to hear. Did, did also yeah. Werewolf 20th Anniversary hit general release? I can't remember because I received a um, a reviewer voucher for it, so I've not downloaded it yet to to read through. I don't yeah. think it has. I mean, I have my, my backer copy, and we're going to have to cover that. Yeah, it's mostly I've got future. it obviously ready for when it's ready to be released. I think that's more than enough case yeah usually get it like a couple weeks in advance but uh no uh w20 is not released for the general public yet cool Mm. okay well that's something that i'll have to obviously read and we'll have to review the shit out of um 
Yeah. What else is what else happened? Um, I think also if for really get back a bit for V twenty, I I know that I think the technology has finally caught up with the vision, and I think we can now get um, a one volume version of the print on demand copy. Mm. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so you can now get sort of the super sexy, absolutely massive version. I'm I'm kind of happy with my two volume version because I think it's a, it's a little bit easier to reference on the fly. Because you know you're not pouring through a 500-page monster, <laughs> but I, I, I still kind of want I still kind of want the one the one volume edition. So yeah, it will be another case of um, yeah, <laughs> it will be another case of it. shut up and take my money. Right on, right on. Yeah. And uh, the other cool thing, since we're kind of just doing the news anyway, um, is that <laughs> they have the updated schedule, which does mention that. Uh, Dark Ages Darkening Skies is going to be released, which is uh, one of the cancelled books from the Dark Ages line from way back in oh, yeah. 2004, so right on. I'm sure uh, Black Hat Matt was uh, definitely pushing for that, and it's cool to see it finally be released Excellent. like a year from now. Mm. Well, you know, it's on, it's on the horizon. Who knows? We may, you know, we may finally get the um, we may finally get the Changeling Knockers book, so sorry, not it was Knockers, yeah. Maybe we'll finally get print-on-demand Dark Ages Fae. Mm. Maybe. Been asking for that for like two years <laughs> now. <sighs> Man can dream. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I guess that's it for the uh, impromptu news segment. And uh, um, Secret Frequency? Psh, we don't need to do that either, do we? <laughs> nah. Um... I know. I'll, 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 one thing I'm definitely going to try and do, um, mostly with my wife's help, as well is because we went on holiday a very quick holiday to Amsterdam mm -hmm. and um, yeah it'd be interesting and there's obviously a lot of great history to that city and we didn't really get a chance to delve into it that much because we were, we were there for a gig um, go see some uh, Hertz performing um, so it'd be nice to actually uh, find something maybe try and find something specific to it because um, Dam Square apparently is very very haunted that's right in the city center next to the palace that's sam in the background a, th a 13th century highwayman called black matthew so yeah okay so we're gonna we're gonna we'll find that for a future show and we'll go into it because yeah just because that's what i do um <laughs> and you know of course you know uh, Amsterdam has the uh, faint smell of uh, weed smoke everywhere you go. Faint, I say. <laughs> it's fucking everywhere. Um, and, smell of freedom. And and obviously the red light districts are very weird thing to walk through during the day, seeing scantily clad women dancing windows. Very strange. But anyway, um, yeah, that's the plan for a secret frequency in future. <laughs> now we're unbooking my holiday. <laughs> Yeah, well, go sooner rather than later because they're trying to change the law that uh, only uh, locals can actually smoke uh, in the uh, cafes uh, there. But yeah, oh. there's there's obviously people don't want it passed because it's too much of a tourist, you know, money yeah. trap. Doing 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 something that will get you, you know, seven to ten back in your home country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't get away from that. Uh, that's cool. Anyway, so <clears throat> let's move on to our first segment of the night, which is going to be me just talking about PAX East 2013. It was pretty sweet. 
This is my first time uh, being an enforcer at PAX, but I've been to every single PAX East, and since I was slinging around my Darker Days business card everywhere, I thought it'd be a cool thing to uh, just kind of like review the convention here on the show. And uh, I know, Peter, you are pretty pumped for PAX Oz. Yeah. Australia being Australia, we don't often get that sort of thing. You know, we have sort of the local convention scene, which I'll be honest with you, is a little bit of a fleece. It's a little bit of, you know, here, pay 20 bucks, now stand in line for two hours to pay another $40 to, for a quick, you know, for, for a quick session with a celebrity. And, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not spectacular. But from what I've heard about PAX, where it's much more interactive, where it's much, there's much more things to do rather than just sort of, you know, stand around and wait and pay. Um, I've heard that there's just a whole bunch of spectacular things to see and do. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. Right on. Do you have any, like, basic questions about PAX, at least from my experience with PAX East? Well, sure. And I, th- I think this will, this will probably do for some of the international listeners. Okay, so PAX East, which city specifically is that? That's in Boston, Massachusetts. Cool. All right, and um, well, I suppose so. You mentioned that you were an inf- you were an enforcer there. What exactly does an enforcer do? The enforcer is basically the convention staff. So yeah. your your core job, like for every single enforcer, is like the safety of everyone. You're not really going to be, you know, roughing up criminals or anything, but just want to make sure that people aren't like running around and people are having a good time as well. And there's tons of different jobs. You could just be like a guy working at an info booth. There's an entire tabletop section with its own enforcers, so they uh, find people games to play and just make sure, like, the different store owners and the um, also game companies that show up are, you know, having a good time. They have everything they need. There are, for example, I was one of the satellite theater staff, so what I basically did was uh, make sure people got into line and uh, in an orderly manner entered the uh, theater for the different, different panels that were going on. And also just trying to, like, keep people entertained a little bit, I guess, and, like, help people out as they're walking by. And there's also uh, one group is line entertainment. So what they do is they just wander around just entertaining people that are standing in lines because that can be a little boring, especially for the uh, yeah. really giant lines. It's, it sounds like your, your, the tasks that you had to cover are very similar to what I had to do when back in the day when I worked for a Games Workshop. Um, I've worked a games day and they're hard and you know you're either like helping people out and direct them to things or you're entertaining them while they're waiting to get onto these giant gaming boards of doom and uh yeah there's it's I can imagine it must have been a very long long days at PAX East then Mike uh not really it was pretty much the best thing ever it was freaking awesome that's good then that's good to hear (laughs) Awesome. So they treat you. They treat you well. Then. They treat enforcers extremely well. So we're very. Um, I was very grateful. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun just talking to all these different people, seeing what they were dressed up as, and uh, the other enforcers I was with were awesome. And you're pretty much always with someone else. So when it was kind of slow, you had people to talk to, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was cool. great. Um, now you got to you got to talk to a fair few sort of. I mean, the celebrity fact is kind of always there, but that that for me that's you know never really sort of been a big deal it's like yep you can go stand in line to you know stand in line to see will wheaton from a distance but for me it was all it was always more a case of no you know i want to meet the professionals i want to meet the creators and the designers and the writers of the various different different things that i'm into so um who'd you get to who'd you get to speak to from sort of a game design standpoint anyone cool definitely i mean 
I don't go to a whole lot of conventions, but my experience at PAX East is that everyone's very approachable. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I was over in the uh, Catalyst Game Labs area, and I just, you know, stopped Randall Bills for a second, because someone said oh. I should talk to him, and uh, ended up uh, discussing Shadowrun for a good 15 minutes, and got uh, quite a bit of information from him uh, regarding that. Uh, yeah. talked to some people that were kind of slinging their own games, uh, live indie RPG people. Uh, specifically, nice. I talked to Joshua A.C. Newman for a bit because I uh, was picking up Mobile Frame Zero, which uh, mm. he finally released. Uh, I did the I backed the Kickstarter for that, so that yeah. was pretty cool. That's the that's the um, mech game, which is based around using Lego, right? Yes, it is. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Nice one, nice one. Um, yeah, I know. I know it's not sort of really the focus of us because you know we're we're more sort of world of darkness. But I, I would argue that I think a lot of us are actually Shadowrun fans. So can you talk a little bit more more about what you about what you spoke about with with the game designer for Shadowrun? Yeah. So Rail Bills is uh he's more just like the general creative manager over at uh, oh, cool. Catalyst. I believe yeah. Jason Rome is the uh, lead designer for Shadowrun, or maybe Jason Hardy. Well, I don't remember who it is, but he wasn't there at PAX, and Randall was. So I talked to him. Um, and they have a lot going on for Shadowrun because the uh, the fifth edition is going to be coming out this summer, so that was yeah. a big thing. And the the main point he wanted to get across was that uh, they're going to be massaging the mechanics so that they enhance the story more. Shadowrun's had an issue with having tons of like little mini games for all these different aspects, like uh, going into the Matrix when you're uh, when you're hacking, or uh, yeah, absolutely. little yeah, mini games was... with your with your rigor and that kind of stuff. That was always the factor of I'm going into the Matrix. Okay, everybody else, chill while we do the Matrix stuff. Right on. So yeah, that's 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 always been a problem. Same thing with Cyberpunk twenty twenty had that as well, where it was I want to play the Netrunner, and it was okay, you be the Netrunner. So while everybody else is doing <laughs> stuff, you kind of chill out, and then now it's time to Netrun. So everybody else, chill out while we Netrun. Didn't quite work. Yeah, and Shadowrun Fourth Edition <laughs> tried to uh, fix some of that with the augmented reality. Yeah, but it didn't really work out. Uh, the rules weren't all that great. So that's one of the things they're trying to do. Um, so that's that's kind of the big release this summer. But they also have a bunch of like side products that are going to be coming out in the next couple of years. So I'm really excited about some of those because um, was specifically what was the one I was after? Um, the Gangers. There's apparently going to be a Gangers miniatures game that I read about. So you know, we were, me and me and my gaming group were recently kind of reminiscing about Necromunda, and and how much and how much we wouldn't mind playing that again. So we were like, hang Necromunda's- on, Necromunda's fucking classic game yeah i missed that a lot of course if you're gonna play necromunda there is only one other thing which at one point the rules were completely free and i think you mostly find them to download because obviously at one point um specialist games made all the rules uh easy to download so um and i have a copy i don't know the, the the legality now of distributing it but um when i got it from specialist games so um gorka morka which is called Necromunda with Orcs and Vehicles, which is a hilarious game. Completely. I remember that. That was a hoot. It was, yeah, was brilliant. It's a hoot, that one. Oh, yeah. I had, a, I had an Orc who had his... Um, he got injured, and I think he had a chest injury. And you <laughs> take him... Because, like, Necromunda... So, people, listeners that have not played it, uh, if you're aware of, like, Warhammer 40,000, Necromunda is set in a uh, one of these hive cities that's, like, these giant, mile-tall... Uh, city that has thousands and thousands of people in, and of course you have gang warfare. Uh, Gork and Walker built on that idea with the orcs, who are space orcs, and they crashed on a planet. Very, um, uh, what's the name of the film? Very Mad Max style, and it had mm. orky vehicles. 
And when you guys get injured in either of the games, you take them to the doctors to get something done to them, and you find out how to fix that injury, and you get cybernetics. Orcs being a little random, uh, the doctor often doesn't do what you want done. So my poor orc, I think, had a, a chest injury and came back with his legs replaced with tracks. <laughs> which was awesome so he would be bundled yeah. off the, bu the back of a truck and, and yeah. nab stuff and it was ironic because he died by getting run over by an actual truck <laughs> but anyway so so um, what, was the, what was the phrase it was something like we fixed you up and now you're well hard <laughs> yeah so we're expecting so Mike on that theme we're, we're expecting something Shadowrun-esque yes yeah. Randall specifically said yeah, it's going to be like Necromunda, so that's what we're going to expect. Uh, it's a game about awesome. gangers fighting each other in the independent city of Seattle. Not really independent, but that lone city of Seattle. Um, and you mentioned that the uh, initial box has the Halloweeners and the Ancients, and my Shadowrun knowledge is not as great as it should be, but I believe the Ancients are a group of elf gangers, and I believe the Halloweeners are a bike gang. Cool. Sold. Do we have any idea of who's going to be doing the miniatures for them? I didn't ask. Currently, Ironwind Metals makes uh, pewter miniatures. They re-release they re the Ralpartha pewter miniatures uh, okay. for Shadowrun. So that's possible, but in the past, Catalyst Game Labs has done its own plastic miniatures through the guys who also did uh, the War Games factory miniatures. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that's how they released like the recent uh, Leviathan's miniatures, which uh, is another game that I tried out. Uh, I tried the demo of for a bit in the uh, Catalyst area. Do we have any kind of like expectation on kind of like what the rules for that kind of uh, uh, for that um, war game is going to be like? Because I, I have no experience with Shadowrun. Because to be honest, quite frankly, the settings never really kind of grabbed me. I think that's just coming from a Games Workshop point of view, where I've always right. had mashups of of lots of things like space orcs and so forth so yeah, yeah. you know Shadowrun never interests me for that kind of setting i rather i like things that are rather agnostic of like orcs and elves for for my cyberpunk but um do you expect like the war game to build off the same rules as the roleplay game much in the same way like iron kingdoms has done the same with war machine um i'm not sure so First off, he, he did mention that the rules are currently in their like second play test, so he wasn't really talking about the uh, mechanics that much. But I can tell you that Shadowrun is basically like the World of Darkness system. Well, actually, okay. World of Darkness was um, based off of Shadowrun. Yeah. So uh, Shadowrun uses dice pools of D6s to find successes. Yeah. And there's also a chance that you may uh, glitch, which is the same thing as a botch. Mm. Yeah. I would guess probably not, because... They'd want to simplify it and streamline it, so I don't think they'd have you rolling dice pools for each no, gamer. No, yeah. no, that would be slow. Cool. We'll see how that goes. Um, it's it is it is their second crack at doing a miniatures game because I remember back in uh, sort of about maybe ten years ago, there was a Shadowrun's Jewels game, which was a it was a collectible figure game, and that one I think you were swapping in and out dice and whatnot. So. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I hear I, I hear a yeah. sigh. So what did you did you try to get into Shadowrun Jewels and it and it failed horribly or? Oh God yeah, no. Yeah. no no it no was, I mean no. the thing was it was it was a cool concept. It's just I think I think the production costs were really huge because I mean they weren't miniatures they were action figures and they were about 
I think something. They were, I think they were nine-inch figures. They were absolutely lovely. It was. I, I know a yeah. bunch of my friends still sort of just have them as you know, oh, cool know. toys know scattered around. The you're talking yeah. about now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was. I saw those. They were, they, were, they were cool figures. I just don't know how much of a game it was. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think um I think now is kind of the most interesting time to see more companies like come into like wargaming because um like there are loads and loads of really interesting looking war games coming out currently and i think that's partly because you know you're seeing the strength of with the strength of something like privateer press with war machine like they they're now like 10 years of it they've kind of like i think they blew open a big hole which basically said you know there is other stuff out there than games workshop and given games workshops shaky track record in the last few years i think people are looking for interesting viable alternatives and to think there could be a good kind of gang warfare with experience analogous to necromunda when games mm. workshop has basically taken what was what was a well-received game yet for them wasn't a money maker and yeah. you know kick, kicked it to the side of the road mm. you know Screw them. Absolutely. Let some pe- let some people have another crack at it and integrate absolutely, it in with their role play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that I've the thing that I've kind of found, um, and this is just sort of in my personal experience, um, a lot of my um, you know, it's, once again, we've you know, we've gotten older and we're not so much money <laughs> poor, but we're not so much money poor, but we're time poor. And yes. the thing that I the thing that I found is like you know, a decent game of Warhammer Forty or whatnot. <sighs> you know, that will that will, you know, how long will that take you? That will take you what? Christ, maybe four hours or whatnot, four or five hours to set up or it, play yeah, and break down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, so something that you can play, get in and out of there, maybe in say two or three hours. Um, you know, so if if so, something which is you know smaller scale, like say Necromunda, or um, oh geez, we actually we're finding we're finding ourselves to play a lot of board games, and apparently Shadowrun's also jumping into that one as well. There's apparently a board game coming out, so you know. My sort of fingers fingers crossed if it's it's not something too huge that you know once again it's it's something we can sort of set up play and get out of there in about sort of you know three to four hours that 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 should be really good. Yeah, Randall didn't have much to say about Hostile Takeover, the Shadowrun board game. Uh, he said it's kind of Lords of Waterdeep inspired, so that probably nice. going to be a quick game. Played a bit of Lords of Waterdeep, and that game is fantastic. Yes, uh, but he mentioned that Hostile Takeover is like a couple years down the, lo- down the road, so uh, we'll, we'll have uh, to see okay. what happens with that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And I think that's pretty much it for Shadowrun. He also mentioned um, that the print novels are going to be returning for Shadowrun, including omnibuses for um, like reprinting classic novels and then also just new stuff. Excellent. Bam. Very exciting, yeah. So definitely a lot going on with Catalyst. Um, the other thing that... I didn't really talk to Randall about this, but uh, I do know that Battletech has uh, some stuff coming up for a new time period, which is beyond the Dark Age. So that's going to be pretty exciting for uh, mech heads like myself. Oh, really? Cool. Any any details on that one? Or was just it, it, it'll just be beyond Dark Age? It's beyond Dark Age. I think it's like 100 that's years right. after. So Okay, um, fair enough. I haven't researched it that much, nor did I talk to anyone. I, I was apparently speaking to uh, Herb Bees, who is the... Uh, Battletech developer, and I just didn't realize it. So oh, shit. <laughs> missed opportunity for me. Yeah, uh, I had that. I had a similar experience when I was at um, AussieCon, where I was just talking to this guy who I just thought was, you know, a regular attendee, 
And later on, I found out, no, dude, that was Charles Stross. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm like, oh, oh, oh shit. <laughs> I love his, I love his books. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So there were a couple other people there. Um, I didn't talk to them uh, as in depth as I did to uh, to Randall, but uh, uh, Cubicle Seven was there. So we talked a little bit about Victoriana Third Edition, which they're going to be finally coming out with. Uh, they're mentioning also mm-hmm. that they're pretty excited about World War Cthulhu. And they also have a golden age, golden era kind of sci-fi game coming out. So they're pretty active on the RPG front, which is good to know. Cool. And okay. I was pretty surprised as well that they came from England, so to go to PAX, that was pretty cool too. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little bit dubious. Well, it's not dubious. It's just I, I don't particularly um, like our chances. Us, you know, Australia being Australia, and you know, RPG developers being on sort of much more of a of a shoestring budget than say video game developers I'm, I'm just i'm not liking my chances of, of, of too many tabletop developers coming mm. down to coming down to melbourne but uh, we can we can hope oh uh, you never know i mean watsi wizards of the coast is probably gonna be there because they they oh, love yeah, they're always straight they're everywhere <laughs> but yeah even even then i mean there's there's sort of a there is a local playtest team for watsi who who show up to pretty much every convention i expect to see those guys again I'm, I'm I'm not sure who else will show up, sort of designer wise, who I can who I can have a chat with and you know wave the darker days flag for. Right on. Um, Flames yeah. of War, they're going to be there. Oh yeah, sure. Flames of War guys, yeah. There's they're a lot of fun. They're they're sort of their own little niche. Right on. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure. Well, let's go over who else was at PAX East. Uh, Steve Jackson Games, they were there, uh, demoing Munchkin, Zombie Dice, and uh, also the new version of Ogre. I wonder if they've worked out their box problems. Because uh, the the last because I didn't I didn't back that one um, as such, but I know a couple of my friends did, and I think it's I think it, to the best of my knowledge I think it's been delayed because Steve Jackson is is having trouble you know um, finding a finding a, a big enough box apparently to to, to back <laughs> right. it all in. Right. Yeah, I don't really know. I didn't talk to anyone at the Steve Jackson Games. I just kind of wandered through, oh. and then after the oh, convention was over, I realized like, oh crap, I didn't go back there. <laughs> it's the sign of a good convention. When there is too much to see, when you sit there and you go, "Holy crap!" There's this awesome thing, <laughs> and then there's this awesome thing, and I have to pick one. Yeah, or there's so much stuff, and you're lucky you you bump into certain people because uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's tough and it's it can be over it can be overwhelming those type of conventions. Mm. Cool. Yeah, carry on, Mike. I mean, uh, what else? So you see, so you're talking about. Yeah, it's just kind of going over like all the different people that were there. Yeah. So, uh, uh, as well as that, I mentioned Cubicle Seven. Uh, this guy was demoing lightweight RPG, and I didn't really get a chance to talk to him because he was busy demoing games. But uh, right. it kind of piqued my interest. I'm not sure if it would be something I'm interested in because I have a lot of simple RPGs. So um, maybe I'll pick up the uh, pick up a copy off of Drive Through RPG and check that out. Additionally, there was Reaper, and they had tons of the new Bones miniatures. So that was pretty cool. Nice. And they also mm. had a giant like painting area where I think they were holding painting contests for the uh, oh, duration good. of the convention. God. So that was awesome. God, I miss painting miniatures. <laughs> yeah, same yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't have the space all the time. It's one of those things that I'm like, you know, when I'm when I'm old, feebled, and hopefully able to retire, or you know, should I, should I, you know, win the lottery or whatnot? You know, what would what, what would I do with my time? Be like, no, I would. Phil, I, I would sorry. paint miniatures. Feel sorry for um for James because we were talking to him last night and obviously he backed and got he's got a massive box of stuff that'll be coming to him eventually for Kingdom Death Monster 
and like he needs to practice painting and doesn't have time. So, yeah, painting miniatures, man. But speed painting, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's another thing entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Learn to use your spray paints and learn to use your inks. Um, <laughs> yep, that would be. That, I'd, cool. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to take a crack at all that. You know, it's just ah, uh, just. Mm. I think about this. I think about the things that I used to do as a kid, you know. And it's like, ah, oh, if only I, had, if only I had the time to sit there and go, radio minis, let's paint you. Well, this is why. This is why, like, you know, something like you know, a new version of Necromunda and stuff like War Machine and those type of games are really good because they're like essentially they're skirmish games. You've got to paint up yeah. like what five miniatures, you're done. Um, even then, painting five miniatures can seem like it take a fucking ages for it. Um, once, anyway. once again. I'd, I live I live in a relatively small apartment, so I just I just do not have the space oh, to start space, chuck, yeah. to start to start chucking paint mm-hmm. around. So, but yeah, I would I would love to get back into it because I, I know for for a lot of miniature games back in the day, sort of you know the 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 the, the a lot of the enjoyment that I got from it was the painting of the miniatures. The the game itself mm-hmm. was always cool, but you know I just I, I really dug painting the miniatures. I mean not not sort of so much for for. Um, for 40k back in the day because you know if if you're playing space marines like you know most 15 year old boys generally end up doing um mm-hmm. it's like yeah you get you can get really bored really quickly because it's mm-hmm. like yep that's a lot of blood angel red <laughs> and yeah. you know each miniature is kind of the same and they're kind of all about uniformity so it's like yep uh, god i'm bored but anyway <laughs> used to, cool. i used to i used to look at the tyranid players and think oh god that'd be fun to paint uh, Turin is wicked yeah. <laughs> as a Turinid player. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's yeah. not talk any more about GW. Um, what, who else do we have there, Mike? Um, so you, does that cover? I think looking at your list of notes, does that cover the tabletop section. You've also gone. No way! No way! Anyway. We still have got uh, the indie RPG crowd. So I mentioned oh, yeah, uh, Jaswa, AC Newman. Oh, yeah. uh, he was uh, trying to sell me on his game Shock, which is a sci-fi game with these really funky diametrically opposed combat resolutions and i didn't really understand how it worked so <laughs> okay what's the basis behind shock uh, just so it's just like a generic sci-fi game okay. which you could so he was trying to show me how you could use it to uh portray dune and i was like okay i kind of get what you're saying here but i don't really know how the mechanics actually work but he was okay. bringing up how like you could solve your political situations with either um, you know, the Prana Bindu of the uh, Bene Gesserits, which is their, their weirding way, or you could yeah. use political backstabbing. That's like the diametrically opposed uh, resolution right there. So, yeah, I can't really, I can't really sell you on that, but if it kind of interests you, you can check it out on his website. I also talked to, what's his name? James Hargrove? Yeah. He's the guy who did uh, Dread, the uh, Jenga game. Okay, yeah. So oh, yeah, that was kind of cool. That thing's fantastic. I love that game. And he was showing me uh, his new game, which was printed on double-sided business cards. He was selling Ooh. them for a dollar. Nice. Yeah. And then I also talked to SFR, who now, I don't know if they really produce, but they maintain the game Dragon Dice, which was uh, produced by TSR back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I rem- when you said that. I was made when I looked at the notes, I was like, hold on a minute, what the hell? And then I suddenly I had flashbacks to um, a copy of Arcane magazine. And yeah, I know what, exactly what you're talking about. They're very pretty dice because they're like lots of symbols, galore and colors everywhere. Um, so yeah, what's going on with that? Are they just 
they were demoing the game and uh, they were selling product. Uh, Are they making new expansions? I can find out right now, live in the show. Uh, yes, they are making new expansions. They just released a new race. They also released some new dragon dice. So, um, yeah, I played the demo and got my ass kicked. So, um, you know, shame on you, demo guy. You're supposed to yeah, let yeah. me win. So I like the game. <laughs> but I was quite I've impressed. Seen, I've seen that happen a couple of times where it's, hey, here's someone who wants to learn. And it's like, and I, and, and I utterly decimate them. And it's like great well yes. done <laughs> but in his defense he was actually showing me more advanced mechanics as he was dominating me so you know i got a better feel for the game that way uh, i wonder if it's one of those games that will eventually um make it the transition to um you know kind of like a computer version of it like we're seeing obviously with like magic the gathering um well, play it play it on your iphone or something there's, there's yeah some, yeah there's some... maybe there's some there's some cool dice games on your iPhone. You can get what is it? Um, what's the the Elder Sign dice dice game on there? Apparently that works. Oh, quite Elder Signs well. is awesome. Yeah, I've got that on um on the tablet on uh, Android, and the expansions are really good. I'm still stuck trying to beat Cthulhu. Um, <laughs> no one yeah. beats no one beats Cthulhu. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. And um, that's basically it for the tabletop area. However, in the expo hall, Privateer <laughs> Press was there, and I uh, stopped yeah. by. Saw someone uh, being taught level seven, their new alien escape game. Yeah. And what's that look like? Uh, so basically, what it was, I only stayed for like five minutes watching someone get demoed on it. And uh, what I saw was uh, basically you roll custom dice, and uh, if you get more symbols than your corresponding stat on your sheet, then you can complete an action. So it's a one of those custom dice kind of games. Nice. Okay. Well, yep. And you're trying to escape, uh -huh. and uh, oh, one of the cool things is it's kind of semi-cooperative, because one person's okay. a clone, and I think that that clone might, like, accidentally start attacking you and that kind of stuff. <laughs> awesome. uh, so does it kind of kind of get that, um, it's a bit like uh, uh, Space Hulk in, in kind of style? Maybe. Space Hulk if your Terminators didn't have bolt guns. Yeah. I'm just looking at the um, private press thing. It reminds me also of um, uh, Hybrid, which was a uh, a board game, miniatures-based board game, that uh, Rackham brought out back in the day. I actually have a copy of um, that you can't get for love nor money these days. But yeah, looks kind of cool. Right on. Yeah. And then Wicked. I stopped by the uh, <clears throat> little little register right there because they're selling product and i was just like hey is simon berman here and they're like nope but with someone else you can interview and i was like uh don't really have questions prepared hmm. but uh ended up apparently talking to will their uh, director of business development and wow. uh talked about the iron kingdoms rpg a little bit uh, which uh mm -hmm. he mentioned the the new book is going to be coming out at gen con and there's going to continue to be monthly support through no quarter and online articles so yeah, I That's think the new cool. book is going to be um, their kind of world guide. So it's the guide to uh, each of the main kingdoms. So we're looking at Lael, Kador, uh, Ord, and Signar, and of course the, uh, what you call it, the Protectorate of Menoth. Actually, one of the things coming out this month, I know for Iron Kingdoms, it should be end of this month, I think, is uh, the Storyteller screen of the Bring of oh, Iron okay. Kingdoms. And I've already I looked on their web on their web page for it, and it looks pretty sweet. So you know all the um, life spirals in the uh, 
that they have for in the mm-hmm. like you you know in hordes they have life spirals yeah yes um they have they use those for the health stats on characters and big creatures in ik rpg and um they're basically having those i think they're supplying them with um uh see-through plastic um holders or they're designed so that you can they're like you can use dry white markers on the cards Perfect. So players can mark off the health, and you can mark off the health of your NPCs and and uh, and you know creatures. So that's kind of wicked for them to design that because they've really thought ahead of it. Kind of it takes that you know it makes them a lot more useful rather than always having to photocopy more stuff out or print stuff out or um, you know. So I'm looking forward to getting that. Right on. Good, good. And uh, I also asked them if they're going to release the Iron <laughs> Kingdom stuff on PDF, and he uh. said. Anything's possible. Ah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because they're they they're pushing this um, app-based system for in-app purchases of books and so forth. Because they already have uh, War Room, which is a an app-based way of buying the miniature cards uh, and forces faction cards. And it syncs up with the play, uh, with your opponent if they also have the app, and that way you can track damage and and so forth. But um, that's not a bad. Yeah, idea. I mean that's that's cool. But honestly, I'd rather see that expanded to say you pay for it so you can like manage your NPCs and monsters and your chronicle information. Maybe that's maybe useful. But if you want the entire book, the app had better be damned good because yeah. you know. As much as I like using PDFs for the games, they're still not that quick to search through. And you know, if you want, if you've got three or four books that you're looking at, so um, yeah, yeah, they've they've got a they've got a, a high bar to surpass. Because I have no experience with what like Games Workshop's doing with their uh, books on iPad, but I'm not really interested because they're exclusive um, to iPad. And I think I think I think currently they're overcharging people mainly. Mm. What they're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They well, like, we don't know the like... prices yet, do we? So maybe it's going to be like two dollars for the rule book. Yeah, you never know. It could be they could make the actual rule book cheap because they're putting it through their own app, which is their own version of DRM. And if that means they can deliver it cheaper, then you can't complain too much. Maybe, but mm-hmm. we'll see. That could work. That could be a good. Indeed, trade-off. we will see. So that was pretty much it for Privateer Press. Uh, pretty cool dudes. I didn't do much on the expo hall. Just kind of wandered around a little bit because um, I was mostly focused. I didn't have a lot of time because I was an enforcer. Mm. So, yeah, the expo hall was only open for like two hours after my <laughs> shift. So I had to be okay. pretty pretty quick. Uh, so I went through there and just kind of wandered around, looked at some stuff. Saw Dungeons and Dragons Neverwinter, which just seems like a wow World of Warcraft style MMO kind of thing. I was not impressed. Mm. Uh, stopped by the CCP booth. Uh, they were demoing Dust 514. I asked some guy if he knew who Eddie Webb was, and he said, nope. I Actually, no, I asked two people. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, they had no idea, but they're from the Iceland office, so I don't think okay. they hang out in Atlanta too much. <laughs> so what's Dust like? Uh, it's like Call of Duty. I was not very impressed. I don't know. It's one of those games where you just kind of find the guy and then hold down fire until he's dead. Yeah. Uh... So I, I'm more of a Counter-Strike player. I like the twitchy, you know... Oh man, I got my sniper rifle, or boom, got to hit the guy in the head really quick. So that that did not impress me with the uh, the level of skill required. 
yeah, I I don't know. I, I looked at dust. Dust looks kind of cool, and it 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 kind of it, it tickles. I suppose one of my funny bones because um it's I don't know, the, the whole concept of soldiers who download into you know new funky bodies. It's it's reminiscent of one of my favorite novels. Um, was it Broken Angels by Richard Morgan? But they're releasing the game on on what is it two on. Is it? I think it's it's. Is it PC or is it just X or is it just PlayStation Three? I think it's just PlayStation Three. Well, there you go. So I, I don't own I I don't own a PlayStation Three. Have no plans to buy a PlayStation Three, particularly because we're <laughs> you know we are sort of right at the at the very end of end a cycle, yeah. Of a con, so it's almost like you know they they're getting dust out for the place for the PlayStation Three just as the four is starting to come out. So it's right. almost like oh, okay. But because so. it's a. Uh, because it's it's um, you know direct download to your PS3, they'll probably release a PS4 version as well. So I think oh, people will absolutely. keep playing. And it's it's free to play. I don't know. It'll be supported by in-app purchases or something. I'm just yeah, not, that's exactly how to do not, it. Not quite and sure also, how they make any money. Anyway. I guess the thing that you can't really tell from the demo or the demo at the con- at the uh, convention is how you you mostly it's very hard to get a feel how that game integrates with the eve universe and what goes on in there because the two are meant to be kind of these synchronous games yeah at least that's what i remember from it so that's, you know yeah. that's it's hard that's, to get that's that a really cool concept and I, I really like that idea but it's just i just don't quite know how they're going to get away from you know i'm playing i'm playing a console fps and i'm about to be you know utterly dominated by a 15 year old from wisconsin <laughs> who is who, who is who is screaming? You know, racial efforts down me. You know, over voice chat. So that's what that's what kind of kept me off Halo. That's kind of what keeps me off most 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 you know online shooters and just you know uh, just stick to the single player game because yeah, I just kind of don't need that. <laughs> yeah, right on. And uh, yeah. moving on from CCP, I walked around, saw my friend. Uh, what a travesty 22 in the most awkward time possible because there was just three girls fawning at him so um, <laughs> that was awkward and then moving along i stopped by a uh, castle story so i backed the their kickstarter uh which means i got a free hug so some yeah. some big quebecois guy gave me a hug <laughs> nice yeah and i think that was pretty much it for the expo hall as well i again wasn't in there too much because uh like you can play games like they're going to be coming out in a couple months. You can play the demos, that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I usually don't do that because I don't want to wait online for 90 minutes or whatever. Yeah. So that means that uh, there's a lot of stuff at the convention that I just kind of skipped over, uh, at least on the expo hall. And I also saw some pretty cool panels. One of them that was interesting uh, from an RPG standpoint was one by Luke Crane, who does the Burning Wheel RPG. And Jared mm-hmm. Sorensen, who does uh, he does the Parsley games. He also does Lacuna, which is a yeah. sort of time travel game. Uh, and that panel was RPGs are awesome. And just to uh, kind of like get down to the uh, the meat of it, they're basically talking about um, decision making in RPGs and how that can kind of influence game design and how the games are played. And they broke it up into a uh, basically five aspects of uh, decision making, which are tactical decisions. So that's like your, uh, you know, D and D map sheet combat, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, moral decisions, which are moral like uh, you run into a bunch of goblin babies. Are you going to kill them? That yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> um, emotional decisions, which are 
uh, I don't even know what a good example is right now. We'll just skip that one. Avatar, which is uh, based on like what would your character do, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, everything from well, like alignments to uh, virtue and vice in New World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And then social decision making, which in many ways is actually kind of meta. They're discussing um, like, am I going to piss off this character? This uh, sorry, this player at the table, and that kind of okay, thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, one cool thing they did was they took an uh, old Dungeons and Dragons character sheet and they kind of divided it up into um, what different aspects on the sheet represented. So it was mostly like tactical stuff, like mm-hmm. your armor, your weapons, but also avatar and mm-hmm. uh, uh, moral as well. So that was uh, kind of a cool way to uh, demonstrate it. And they went through a couple examples, that sort of thing. Um, and it was interesting. The entire basis for this panel was uh, uh, Luke had been reading through a game design book, like a text. And one of the authors uh, basically said that RPGs do not fit their definition of a game. And <laughs> okay. they were also right. kind of basically saying, like, maybe it's not really a game, which he thought was BS. And uh, therefore... Oh, it's, this gets back to, like, all the big game and whether a role play game is a simulationist narrative or or uh, storytelling and all that kind of forged terminology and stuff, uh, yeah so <clears throat> actually i kind of mentioned this in the notes you might see um mm-hmm. i like the uh i call it teams which they didn't come up with mm-hmm. it's just tactical moral emotional avatar social you can rearrange those letters into the team's acronym so that decision making basis i think is actually very useful for game design uh gns theory mm-hmm. that you're mentioning which is a uh, gameism narrativism and simulationism that's just a classification system that basically is yeah, just saying yeah. like okay this D is obviously simulationist you're simulating tabletop combat mm-hmm. i don't think that's really good for game design it's more like something you can use after a game has been created Mm-hmm. I don't really know how you go out and say, I'm going to make a narrativist game. Like, yeah. So what does that mean? You can't really classify something before you've created it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's more it's more sort of useful if, I don't know, if you're sort of maybe doing academic analysis after the fact. Right. And that's really what it was meant for, I think. But yeah, it yeah. was good. So as much as I denigrate GNS theory, and it's also fallen out of favor. I mean, this is like mm-hmm. a, this is from like a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really did get people to start thinking about this kind of stuff. And a lot of the uh, more modern RPG analysis uh, theories and ideas have, have kind of grown out of that. So it was overall a good thing. Um, but that is kind of what they were discussing. I'll have to check if it's on YouTube and maybe I'll link it because some mm. people do record their, their presentations. Oh, and Luke Crane said that White Wolf is gone, which is basically true. And then he said that Onyx Path and White Wolf need to use Kickstarter to revive their World of Darkness brand, which I thought was a very questionable thing to say. Uh, I think that the brand itself has been quite strong, but uh, perhaps he disagrees. He actually works for Kickstarter, so I don't really want to challenge him too much on it. I wouldn't say... I I would say Kickstarter is enabling for for, um, Onyx Path to to explore alternative publishing methods mm-hmm. in other words to break out of the traditional publishing cycle which is you make you you make a game and you pay some people up front to make a game and then you have to also then have the money to print to press this metric ton of dead wood and then you've got to hope that you can ship the whole lot of it 
and then hope that you make enough money back so you can then keep the you know the tr- the, the treadmill as Rich Thomas and anyone has ever said classic White Wolf was the treadmill of mm-hmm. make another book so you can then make another book so you can make another book whereas now you know Kickstarter changes that thing whereas you find out who wants this book how much how bad do you want it and if you want it bad we can make this book bloody awesome so you know i'm well excited to get mummy like they were going to make mummy one way or another but the fact that we're going to get this ultra cool version of mummy which is you know glossy and has gold edged pages and a, a bookmark and everything then hell yeah so yeah we also kick- get like 12 free pdfs with it so hell that's yeah. pretty sweet too absolutely um, yeah this yeah. is this guy i'm this guy sounds like he's talking out of his ass, mate. I don't know. I think he was really just exaggerating to prove a point. Yeah. I think he, if anything, he's just trying to say how Kickstarter, how successful Kickstarter is in certain aspects. And obviously, I think I think it's fair to say that that possibly Onyx Path and the White Wolf brand of World of Darkness kind of gives a good example of how roleplay games have taken advantage of Kickstarter to change their publishing kind of methods. Mm. Really get back a little bit. I mean, I, th- I think they can start talking about brand recognition and all that sort of guff when it finally gets time to release the MMO. And they can, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how um, Onyx Path are going to try to capitalize on, you know, on mm. the M- on the MMO when that gets released. You know, will they will they say, you know, here's the MMO and here's the game, which guess which we've been publishing through Kickstarter for the last, you know, how many couple of years? So, yeah. yeah, I think I think. It's, I think yeah that that question will pop up you know once the once the MMO is ready to release but yeah right on right on yeah absolutely yep uh what else did I do that day oh um another RPG thing is that uh, Sofer who is one of the people I was working with at the Wyvern Theater had uh, this game called Jade Claw which he described as the furry RPG I'm just about aware of it yeah <laughs> okay I hadn't been but. Now I know it exists. <laughs> Played some game called Unexploded Cows, which I was completely destroyed because I was doing a lot of table talk and I was like, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to totally own you with my cow. So people started attacking <laughs> me because they thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> that tends to happen sometimes. Bovine trash talking. Pretty much. Do, 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 do. Um, okay, that's it for Friday. On the Saturday, that's when I was doing all the tabletop stuff. And, uh, oh, we also played um, Wild West. Or no, 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 that's not the name of it. But uh, Jared Sorensen's Wild West Parsley game. Are either of you familiar with Parsley games? What exactly is a Parsley mm, game? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think so. All right. So um, maybe we can play one right now. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> okay, okay. <clears throat> now loading Action Castle. <laughs> you are in a room. Exits are north and south. Okay. <laughs> um, I checked my inventory. You checked your inventory. Your inventory is empty. Now, mm. Peter, you get to go. It's your turn. I attack, I attack Chris. I don't understand attack Chris. <laughs> All right, Chris, now it's your turn. Oh, that's one of the um, I go north. You go north. You're in a clearing. There is a well. Exits are south and east. Um, I look down the well. You see a well. It's very deep. I push Chris in. <laughs> I don't understand. I push Chris in. 
<laughs> so that's basically a parsley game. Uh, so this oh, one was okay. uh, Wild West themed. And, um, okay, so it's very much like a classic, sort of kind of like a text-based... Text yeah, it's, it's like King's Quest and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a text-based yeah, yeah. adventure. The text-based games we used to play back in, very much back in the day. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome when you get, like, uh, we had 50 people in line. You get up to the line, you'd be like, all right, I go east. Or, uh, you know, I try to shoot the guy. And it's like, oh, you got killed. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> and i just realized that that would be tons of tons of fun to do online as well i actually just got action castle through the uh tabletop day um free bundle on drive through rpg ah. so i can run that now oh wow stick it on the j plus or something right on and then uh i went to sleep after that oh no <laughs> so um i'm not even gonna talk about that whatever all right went to sleep and then uh sunday i basically just worked the entire day and it was probably my best day ever at pax I was in uniform from like nine to five and what was going on between the satellite theaters is we had nothing to do on Sunday. So we were just making um, like little stickers on with tape and trying to plant it on each other's signs. And then someone realized that uh, Wyvern Theater, the one that I was at, had two signs. So someone made a $20 bounty uh, <laughs> to try to steal one of our signs. So There's just enforcers constantly around us trying to grab it. Eventually they did. And then we're just having it uh, all around the convention just like people were posing and taking photos with it and it was pretty ridiculous but uh we eventually did get back at phoenix theater who were the ones that stole it by uh pretty much just graffitiing and defacing the theater <laughs> it was awesome nice. so you had a, you had an opportunity to be mischievous pretty much you know we enforcers of course are uh very professional and uh you know always <laughs> take our job seriously mm. we just basically had nothing to do at that point yeah fair enough so that was pretty much PAX. Of course, there was an Enforcer after party, which is awesome. Got to do some bowling, play some pool, and that kind of stuff. So that was pretty good. And Sounds pretty great. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I was just, I was looking, I was like, I, I was wondering, you know, I, I guess there isn't really much said about whether there'll be a PAX Europe of any form, or where. I They currently have... Their fourth PAX. So they have they have PAX Prime in Seattle. They have PAX East in yeah. Boston. They have PAX Dev also in Seattle, which is uh, just for developers. Press are not allowed at all. Okay. And now they're having uh, PAX Oz because there's not enough good conventions in Australia. Damn straight. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if they're going to start a Europe one. It's, it's possible. We'll have to see. I mean, there's definitely a lot of enforcers that are from... Um, from Europe. Uh, I ran into some people from England when I was enforcing. So mm -hmm. people make the trip, and I guess it would be pretty cool if they could uh, have a PAX over there as well. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine that would be too far in the future. Eventually, eventually they're going to want to. Eventually, they're going to want to do a PAX Europe. I reckon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely possible. So, any other questions about PAX or uh, or what? So as a as a first time PAX goer, what do you recommend? I sort of you know are there any do's and don'ts you think I should you think I should um, keep in mind? Okay, so first off, go to the keynote. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get there early, get online, go to the keynote. Okay, and then directly after the keynote is a Q and A with uh, Mike and Jerry, the Pinar K people, and you're gonna love that. Yeah, I'll do that absolutely. I um I got up at three a.m. and uh, watched I watched the Q and A live. Because nice. um they, they were streaming it, so it was it was one of those. Yep, we're officially in the future moments. 
where, you know, I got up at 3 a.m., sat on my couch, pulled out my iPhone, and watched live an event that was going on on the other side of the planet. <laughs> yes. It's, it's one of those moments where you go, yep, we're in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you definitely want to do that. Um, I mean, Peter, are you, you're more of a tabletop guy, correct? Um... I, I love I do I love me some tabletop, but no, nah, dude, I, I'm I'm video games. I'm I'm everything. So okay, right on. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Do not get stuck online to play a demo for something that's gonna be out in a couple months. Um, oh, God, it's yeah, never yeah, worth yeah, yeah. it ever. Yeah, tabletop is awesome. They have a tabletop library, so you can just check out games, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, there will be like companies there. Um, maybe Wizards will be running some stuff. I'm going with a group of my friends, so, you know, it, I'm, I, I imagine it will be sort of a what does the group want to do? I'm, I'm not just kind of lone wolfing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, if I will, we will probably just sort of try and try and do everything as a group. So, you know, I, I think we'll probably be, be avoiding the sort of let's stand in line and play a single-player game. It'll be more a case of, okay, let's go to the tabletop demo place and, 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 see, and see what we can play as a group. Right on. And uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of panels, so uh, definitely check that out. Oh, if um, look for Rim and Scott, uh, the Geek Knights, see if they're doing a panel, because uh, I first experienced that at my first PAX East, and uh, I've become a huge fan of theirs, so I definitely recommend them. Yeah. And I know they're going to be at PAX Aus, so... Panels are fun. Um, I've seen them go bad, or <laughs> I've seen them. Um, yeah. I was. I was at. I was at um, Con, which was uh, the World Science Fiction Convention, when they brought it to Melbourne, and I was in this panel with a former, um, with a former Star Trek Next Gen staff writer, who was trying to convince us all the reason why the first couple of seasons of Next Gen were bad. It was all because the actors were terrible. And I just remember kind of thinking, what what terrible actors? What you mean, like what what Sir Patrick Stewart? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was like you know because I was thinking, yeah, and I was suddenly thinking, yeah, of course she's going to blame Will Wheaton for for Wesley, and it's right, yeah, the fourteen year old kid, the fact that his character sucked, that was all his fault, was it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I kind of called that out, and then I got up and left. <laughs> anyway. Nice. Yeah. Um. I mean, they definitely Pax usually has pretty good panels um they have a they have an entire like department which which you know schedules them and handles that kind of stuff so mm. of course you know use your judgment when you're looking at the schedule and find some good stuff and uh if you're stuck online for a panel i don't know how it's going to be at pax Os, but the first pax east was nuts like yeah. you would just get on a line and be like i don't know what this line is for but hopefully <laughs> it's good yeah, we'll see. Um, it has. I know that PAX Australia has completely sold out, but yeah. um, I'm not quite sure what exactly that means in terms of the actual number of number of attendees. It is. I know it is at the Melbourne. Con- it's. It is at Melbourne Showgrounds. I know they can only hold a certain number of people. So, so we will see. And also, it's the first one. So you know, hopefully. Hopeful. So you know, I, I imagine what will happen, which is pretty much what happens with all these things, is that yeah, the first one's kind of small, and then the next, and then it blows up. You know, every year as it goes on, as as people come away and go, oh my god, that was awesome. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just check it out, have a good time, uh, talk to the enforcers, and see what they have to say. They might they might know of like some cool panels or some cool like secret spots where there's good stuff to do. So, I see. Yeah, yeah. Cool. should be awesome. My first PAX was my best until this most recent one. So yeah, and of course, and of course, the usual things. Yeah, you know, pack deodorant. You know, pack pack extra deodorant. Pack deodorant that you can give away to other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll see if I can avoid the con crud. Did you you didn't you didn't pick up a dose of the con crud this year, did you? Uh, a little bit, but uh, so at PAX here, pro tip: <laughs> don't shake anyone's hand. Yeah, use your elbows and just be like, "Yo, dog, elbows, bam, bam." That's that really helps a lot. Yeah, I'll I'll try that and I'll I'll keep the hand sanitizer and you know in every yeah that proportion. too. Yeah, right on. Okay. Okay, I think I think that's enough packs. Yeah, fair enough. I think we're good. Chris, do we want to talk about mummy a little bit? Yeah, I seem to I seem to remember we were a we were a white wolf, you know, slash uh, slash world of <laughs> yeah. darkness podcast. <laughs> world of darkness two point So obviously, yeah, as we said um, earlier, with the news, like you know, mummy is finally uh, released on general sale. And the one thing which we steered clear of in the previous Darker Days, I think it's the previous Darker Days. I've lost yep, track of what we've done. Yeah, yeah with, um, with uh, Colin, is we steered clear of talk of um, Mummy the Curse crossed over with the other elements of uh, World of Darkness. And in the run-up to that interview, we obviously had a good, I think we had a good three weeks of reading the book and kind of read about the various uh, factions in it and creatures. And the thing that keeps, I guess, keeps sticking out like a sore thumb was some of the absolute similarities between elements of Mummy the Curse with other parts of New World of Darkness. And, you know, here we are, the next show on from Talking with Colin, and he's not here, so we can talk about crossover, finally. <laughs> Now, Pete, just so we can obviously, you know, we can we can uh, get you involved in the discussion. How much do you know of Mummy the Curse? Did you back it? Did you get a copy from Kickstarter or anything like that? I'm very very sorry, but I know practically I practically next to nothing. I know what um, I know what was discussed. I've taken a little bit of a look at it. Okay, um, cool. I, yeah, I just I just you know I'm not super hot for mummies, and yeah, I just did not have the extra cash floating around for yeah. for. Yeah, I'm playing around to back it. I was I was kind of holding off for Hunters Hunted. Oh uh, yeah, well, fair enough. So okay, so for people that hopefully listened to the last show, but as a brief summary, so as a mummy, um, you're playing a uh, uh, a being that was empowered through mummification by this nameless empire, a precursor empire to um, the Egyptian dynasties. And they pledge their soul to the uh, the judges of the Duat um, and are able to come back every so often, whether they're summoned by their cults or by the Sothic cycle. And they're basically tasked with performing tasks allotted by their judges, uh, of which there are about 42 of, to um, collect and bring back into the Duat, which I guess you could consider as part of the underworld, uh, because mm. the, it is the Egyptian underworld, um, relics, uh, relics ranging in power and magnitude, and these relics, if they're not claimed, cause certain havoc in the real world. And you know, mummies claim them to align them properly to absorb their sekem. And the the problem for mummies is that they're they're constantly battling their task uh, that they're allotted with their own. Um, with their own uh, desires as a person, um, and as they when they awaken uh, from their uh, their sleep, they are very high in sekem, which you can basically uh, you can um, their 
power their power rating uh, thing is very equivalent to like uh, blood potency or uh, or the equivalents from the other splats. They start at ten and through gameplay it diminishes and as it diminishes it makes it easier for a mummy to have more free will um so there's sort of this kind of uh, race against time you know the sand glass you know is is always diminishing in amount of time that they can do things for themselves and of course within the mummy setting there are other things there are these uh ank ankhata which are chimerical creatures that can be either created by mummies or other people that are aware of of uh, the magic of the nameless empire and these are like taking the head of one animal and the body of another and you're able to create this new creature that exists as a spirit but also can make into the real world by devouring Sekem. mummies themselves of course are corpses that are empowered by Sekem to look mortal once again and through certain things can show how they're not mortal that they're these empowered uh corpses um and when you really look at the host of uh, different creatures and antagonists and the mummies themselves, there's a lot of similarity and crossover to games like Vampire the Requiem, Mage the Awakening, uh, obviously with Werewolf the Forsaken, uh, Geist the Sin Eaters, and Hunter, uh, Hunter the Vigil, and even with potentially even with games such as Changeling and with Promethean. Yep. So, Mike, where do you want to start with disentangling all of this, like the crossover? What's the most obvious thing as crossover? Promethean. Uh, Promethean, okay. Straight up. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, Chris, you remember me just like randomly G-chatting you all the time, just being like, yeah. holy crap, Mummy <laughs> and Promethean. Oh, yeah. Two peas in a pod. I think the thing that, that started that was because we were talking about these chimerical creatures, the Amkata, and how they are created creatures and that are empowered and of course from corpses of other creatures you know it's glorified taxidermy um and promethean essentially operates in the same way you know someone creates a corpse be it a promethean or some other person and it is awakened and empowered and you know as azoth makes it alive because it doesn't have a soul right and yeah, there's there's so much similarity there. Yeah, well, even just on more macro scale, mm. uh, with Promethean, you have a uh, you have a demiurge who takes a body and gives it new life through yes. a ritual, and really the same thing with mummy. You have back in the nameless city, yeah. the mummies would go in, a ritual would be performed, and they'd have a new life as one of the one of the deathless. Yes. So that in itself is, is quite telling. You, of course, have in Promethean, you have the Osirens, who are the, uh, the water element Prometheans in their alchemical nature. And yes. they are Egyptian-based and really match up with the mummies quite well. It, it hints at that the... Um, oh, I mean, obviously, I need to open up the, the mummy PDF to, to give the right terms. But the... Um, so in the Nameless Empire, you had this kind of uh, sorcerer kind of um, sorcerer kings, the lords of the empire, who used the um, the ritual of return, I think that's the right name of it, um, to create the mummies out of their servants. Their servants fall into five, five slash six guilds. Mm. And it's interesting to think that whatever 
ritual is that they use to create the mummies has a uh, has persisted in some manner down the ages, which makes may explain the origin of Prometheans, maybe. Perhaps, but we also know that um, the quite definitely the spell of life for the 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 deathless for the mummies mm-hmm. uh, does not involve pyros. No, so we could be fairly certain that it is something different. But it does seem to make a, and it also makes a different kind of being. As we were discussing last night, um, I was trying to argue that really we have three kinds of mummies. We have the deathless, who are the mummies and mummy the curse that you play. There's the lifeless, which are the variety of kind of spin-off mummies, and then there's also the soulless, which are the Prometheans because they uh, indeed lack a soul. It's quite interesting because obviously the the um, the other crossover you get and. Is, is a very obvious crossover, and it comes from uh, Secrets of the Ruined Temple for Mage the Awakening. Is That's where the first citations, first reference to this nameless empire occurs. So the creators of the mummies in Mummy the Curse are also potentially a group of mages that did not reside in Atlantis, which is equally interesting. And so, you know, there's, that, that opens up so many more things. And um and the uh the amkata are very similar in some respects to uh pandorans so um hmm. yeah it's it has so much to deal with uh the other thing in mummy um is the fact that mummies have cults uh that persist through the ages and every so often uh you know summon the mummy back to uh to be you know awake and to to help them in some task other than what the judges have in mind for that particular mummy and the one thing that mummy the curse doesn't actually really say anything about but you can see some obvious crossovers there's nothing preventing mummies having cults that are not just mortals but there could be other uh, you know supernatural beings within their cult so i don't see the whether there's no reason why um you cannot have, say, a cult of uh, Mechet vampires from Vampire the Requiem as members of this cult, especially because the Mechet, if you go to their clan book, um, you know, have mystery cults themselves, and their own history dates back to Egypt as well. So there's a very obvious crossover there. And, of course, fortunately, in New Order Darkness, various supernatural beings have no immediate reason to hate each other. So, you know, there's no reason why vampires could not get something good out of the deal by being every so often the servants to this monumentally powerful uh, supernatural being. Indeed. And uh, I've been thinking a little bit about how to cross over, say, mummy and vampire, and maybe also (laughs) mummy and Promethean. And I think the key might actually be the uh, memory trait. Okay. Because Uh, um, vampires have their own issues in Vampire the Requiem with memory. Mm -hmm. And there's also uh, very interesting ideas with uh, playing around with the memories of Prometheans. Because they're a new being, but perhaps there's memories trapped in there from uh, the past body uh, that they now inhabit. Which may be a key to uh, opening up their true personality. Mm -hmm. So that could be something interesting to play with. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work. Because, of course, the mummy's memories pertain to the Nameless City and his other awakenings throughout the ages. But that's kind of useful for the mummy if he has a, uh, uh, you know, at least a, a vampire may have 
uh, some way of at least helping with the recovery of those memories from a particular mm -hmm. age if they were both active at that same time. That yes. makes for a really interesting relationship. You've got these two beings that could leapfrog through time together, but in very different ways. Um, yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Well, I can't really take credit for it because that comes from uh, Mummy First Edition from the Old World of Darkness. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, the vampire and the mummy that were basically friends throughout the ages. Ah, of course. The other thing I was thinking that crosses over immediately with Mummy is that Clan Meket have a, uh, a method for embracing corpses that they've uh, that are not. So obviously, normally the embrace of a vampire is of a person that is immediately drained of blood and then fed, mm -hmm. you know, vitae. But the Meket have a method that they can actually embalm a corpse and then embrace it later. And of course, what's that very similar to? <laughs> Yep, just like a mummy. Or a Promethean. So, that um, yes. That makes it kind of interesting. And the other games we've been thinking of about crossover, because of course, in the Mummy the Curse book, there are plenty of new uh, powers, uh, Numina, for ghosts. And of course, the other group that makes use of ghosts is Geist the Sin Eaters. And the question then is can sin eaters who are quite able to open avernian gates and access the underworld are they able to access the duat because the duat performs a particular role for mummies it's a place where they um they basically reside when their their body is asleep between when they're awake in the real world but also when a mummy um dies when i use the word die i mean like you know they take hideous amounts of damage and their soul for a moment of time is cut off from their body, has to go to the duat and face Anubis. And there's some sort of revelation that they have, and eventually they make it back to their body. But it's, it'd be very interesting to understand, or at least explore how uh, Sin Eaters can also uh, interact with mummies, especially if that um, there may be parts of the nameless city which are accessible to Sin Eaters because they're able to open Avernian Gates to very deep parts of the underworld. Um, yes. Uh, I would argue that, yes, a Sin Eater can get to Duat because it's it's definitely canonically in the underworld. It's just yeah. in a very strange location. Um, the issue is that the the judges don't want them there. Uh, no, it's, it's a place where, really, the, the mummies are most vulnerable Mm. And if you ever needed to destroy a mummy, that's where you would go. You'd get a Sin Eater or maybe a, uh, I mean, va vampires as well can enter uh, Avernian Gates, as we know from uh, Book of the Dead. Pretty much anyone can get in. <laughs> yes. It's just, you know, not really a good idea for them. Yeah, so it's definitely where they're most vulnerable. And I think that uh, the, the judges would have some way to, to try to keep them out or destroy them once they enter. Hmm. And that really questions them whether the judges are kind of similar in some way to the Caraboy of uh, Ghost mm -hmm. Eaters. So the Caraboy are these kind of are the are the ghost. I say ghost. They're kind of like the ghostly spirit psychopomps lords of these underworld domains. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, the other thing that would be very interesting is the fact that. Um, this is one of the ways that I view how to run, and I will run, uh, Geist of Sin Eaters uh, in the near future. Is that Geist of Sin Eaters is kind of like a, um, 
it's a very you can run as a procedural kind of police investigative game, much like Vampire the Requiem. But the other the the thing is that in in Geist, your um, the people you would interview, the people you would ask questions, are not just the living, but also the dead. And maybe also some of the people you want to talk to, some of the dead you want to talk to, are are witnesses from another time who are you know trapped dead in some underworld domain because of course they've lost their attachment to the real world now what if certain relics that a mummy requires have been destroyed in the real world but they have an underworld reflection and that's the way to gain hold of them so there's potentially crossover there that a mummy needs a geist to help them to recover a relic which would otherwise be lost hmm i like it or working along the same idea, maybe the 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 relic, though destroyed, still exists in some form, in a uh, I would say a alternative dimension or astral realm, which is accessible by say a uh, a mage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's stuck possible. in someone, or it's stuck in someone's dream, and so uh, you know they have to talk to a uh, changeling. Which leads us on to another thing, talking of changes. What else is similar to Prometheans and similar to mummies and similar to other created beings? And that's fetches. Because, again, fetches mm. is something that's created from various things and empowered and it doesn't have a soul yet. It's, for all intents and purposes, human. Which I think um, in our discussion, Mike, on, on a, a G-chat, really led us to the um, the thing that's that a lot of these games get at is that once you're even not human or you try to make a human, the thing that's always difficult to, to put in there or to maintain is the soul. So, right. you know, a vampire is corrupted in some way and has to feed on Vitae. A, uh, a Promethean has no soul and is seeking Azoth and is seeking to uh, to refine and distill its azoth to create a soul a mummy has a soul but again it's damaged and i would say damaged or controlled by the judges and so sekem is something that you know forces them to do things and limits them uh changelings obviously their souls being screwed about with by the uh, by the gentry and a part of the weird now replaces their soul and Oh, what other game am I thinking of? And in uh, in uh, in mage, of course, uh, mages, of course, have souls. They're awakened, but the Tremere, who are a group of uh, of left uh, left-handed path uh, uh, mages, their soul is, of course, corrupted and broken. The only way to maintain their soul is to feed on others. So there's this definite theme of souls being broken or manipulated, and to try and this idea that it can that you have to somehow maintain it to gain freedom. Yes, Darker Days Radio and the Nature of the Soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of all the crossover stuff that we um, we got. Um, so obviously ghosts, I mean, the thing that I'm looking at possibly running is a, uh, a ghost game that's going to feature uh, Mummy the Curse type antagonist. And, of course, uh, I'm looking at kind of stuff from Mage as well, because, of course, you can have Ghost Mages, the Ghost of Mages, which are uh, quite horrific. Any other thoughts, Mike, on crossover material and what you could use? Um, Hunter the Vigil, we haven't really said much about. Uh, and, of course, 
um, other kind of like things to do with. Um, oh damn, I can't think of the name of it. What's the name in Mummy the Curse of the uh, the pharmaceutical company? Uh, oh shit! Shit! Yeah. Um, okay, wait. Yeah, I have PDF and... open. Woohoo! I've up the PDF. I was I was actually gonna gonna ask Chris, are you yeah, are you crazy are you crazy enough to tr- um um to try and cross over any any of Mummy the Curse into classic World of Darkness? Um, <laughs> if I was me, I would actually be inclined to completely replace uh, Mummy the Resurrection with Mummy the Curse. Yeah. Totally write them out and put them in because I think they have a, uh, I think they have a stronger, a stronger uh, idea because they're less tied to the grand metaplot and less, yeah, yeah. and less intrinsically tied to vampire in the sense that oh we hate set we're obviously we hate every vampire going, and I think it it really kind of uh, opens up the scope of. Um, of what you can do with mummy in uh, classic world of darkness. So I would, I, I think there's a lot of strength there. I mean, is there anything in particular you would say from old world of darkness that that would be quite interesting to mix with mummy, the curse in the sense of what we've already talked about. I got well, something I mean, for you. I oh, yeah. Okay. Well, just think about it. So these mummies only wake up for a short amount of time and well, what's one of the core elements of the classic world of darkness, but the end of the world. So they yeah. have this finite amount of time that they're awake and they need to get something done or as much mm-hmm. done as possible before they go to sleep because they don't know if they're going to be able to wake up again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That would that's yeah, that makes a really strong kind of concept there. Yeah, um, yeah I mean the, the the idea that was that sort of come to me would be, you know, well, what if you because because you know, um a big theme of well, particularly Vampire the Masquerade is always, you know, you have the Antiluvians and you have, you know, a bunch of a bunch of incredibly powerful Methuselah who are all sleeping and when they wake up you know shit is going to get real well you know the idea is what if what if you have say oh geez even even the black hand you know they think they're sitting on a on on an antiluvian they're actually sitting on a mummy or you know or you you can you can tie them into of course um the followers of set where you have you know well sets back and well he's not a vampire as such he's he's a he's a mummy from mummy the curse that you know that sort of stuff you could you could play with quite well yeah i think awesome. it's quite it's quite interesting when you talk about um Mummy the Curse maybe mixed with World of Darkness because of course the one thing you don't see in old World of Darkness, in classic World of Darkness and that was the one of the key features of Mummy the Curse is that the fact is a new mummy in Mummy the Curse starts out with monumental powers and so yeah. to imagine that the Sothic cycle ties in with the, the coming end of the world so all these mummies wake up say a few uh, a few years or a year before you know the red star and you know the eventual end of the world and so you've got a bunch of vampires who think they're all badasses and then suddenly you know everywhere these mummies wake up who are mm. who are wielding like world destroying powers because some of the powers in mummy the curse are summon meteor <laughs> so it, for example and so for a mummy to get for a vampire to go Ah shit! It's like we were worried about the antediluvians, and we've got these guys. Um, yeah, yeah, you can, you think, can even be. I, yeah. All right, all right, boys. Gehenna's been cancelled. <laughs> you know, yeah. You could, you, yeah, you could you could put the um you could put the mummies in. They're the guys who put down Ravnos during the week of nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the other thing that obviously Mummy the Curse doesn't have uh, that uh, Mummy the Resur- Resurrection 
did have, of course, is uh, mummies from other parts of the world. Now, yeah. fortunately, New World of Darkness is kind of open in the fact that mummies, m- the, the term mummy is very broad. Mm. So not all mummies are the Arisen, but the Arisen are mummies. And this is something that's going to be expanded upon in uh, in some other of the uh, books that come out from Mummy the Curse, because they're kind of like covering kind of the classic kind of Bane mummies and other types of mummies like that. So, you know, there's definitely things you can import, because I'm still kind of interested in, like, how you would tie into New World of Darkness, like the mummies of... Uh, and into Mummy the Curse, like, you know, the mummies of, of like, um, Central, uh, Central uh, America with, uh, you know, Mayans and Aztecs, or, or the mummification... That you would get that would occur in, say, uh, due to, I think it was Buddhist monks, you know, mummifying themselves by eating in a particular way and starving themselves and basically desiccating themselves. And, uh, you know, uh, kind of things like, you know, even though it's an awful film, uh, the third mummy film, which is, you know, the uh, Dragon Emperor. And so I think there's still more stuff that you could you could tie into into uh, Mummy the Curse. And of course, that leads us on to another book in New World of Darkness, which is um, which I haven't actually read. Uh, is it Immortals? Yeah, that has other ways of immortality, and I think mm-hmm. they have other types of. They cover other like mummies in there. Um, oh, and of course, I can imagine that many of the groups in well, not many, but I imagine certain groups in Hunt the Vigil would have issues with mummies themselves and that company uh last dynasty international yeah they take relics and they take mummies and things and they you know they 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 get the second out of it to make interesting pharmaceuticals and i think that would cross over with some of the groups in hunter the visual quite well because again there's there's certain groups in hunter the visual that have an interest in stealing and using for their own purposes the uh the you know powers and abilities and organs of other supernatural entities Hmm. well i think i'm uh just about spent on uh mummy crossover ideas yeah i think i think there's a, there's obviously a lot more but i think it it would take me a bit of gameplay to kind of play about with these ideas um yeah, I think that's basically our kind of like our our, uh, our brain explosion of what we've been keeping back from the last show. Right. Um, yep. But there's definitely a lot to do, and yeah, you know, it's very interesting to talk about like Mum and the Curse in relation to Old World of Darkness. Um, yeah. Any closing things then? Uh, yeah, I got something. Peter Marshall, oh. you're back at your computer now. Um, yeah, I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I ran World of Darkness Gypsies. Oh yeah, cool. You did. You did very well. Yeah. Um, I've I've only listened to the first half of it. Um, I believe. I think. I think I put some money on the table, didn't I? Uh you did, <laughs> but no. Nah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about oh, that. Fair enough. Give it to uh, no, you, know did, what? you know what? You know what? Give something to Child's Play. Buy some. Buy some cookies from the Cookie Brigade at PAX, and that'll be awesome. I will. I will, I will give something to Child's Play. I was. I was. I, I was more than happy to donate to the. I was I was going to donate to the um, the charity of your choice. That was the plan with the money anyway. So sure, no problems. There we go. And speaking about Google Hangout games, um, I am 
just about prepared to run Cthulhu Tech. Mm. Yes. So nice. this, uh, this is basically me. As a, uh, I'll be running as a kind of a, a, the office of internal security. Uh, think X-Files, but mixed with a bit of technocracy uh, mm. style. And of course, they have to run kind of information interference, both against the enemy and you know, in the general population. And uh, they have the horrible jobs of hunting down the monsters and the sorcerers and the parapsychics and the cults uh, that exist in the arcologies in the Cthulhu Tech uh, dystopian cyber cyberpunk Cthuloid world. So that's looking good, good fun. So again, that's the idea of kind of just it gives me it gives us a chance to actually for me to run it, uh, for us to play it and show how it can be run to get kind of like the theme and moods of it. And, you know, it's also an opportunity to look at the Cthulhu Tech material and kind of, as Mike and I and others have been doing, is sanitizing some of the concepts. <laughs> I was going to say, are you are you going to stick with framework, or are you going to uh, mix things up? Yeah, I think that's the one, first thing, Mike. We, I'm not running framework, am I? Am uh, I? You can do whatever you want for this, but uh, I've got my own crazy plans in the background to try to replace the system. If you want, if you want to try the replacement system, I'm willing well, if, to do if it. If it yeah, it's not done. If, if you're, yeah, but this is the thing, though. I mean, if you're if you're just doing, if you're not kind of involving the crazy mechs and stuff. Could you just port it over to New World of Darkness quite easily? I mean, it's got. I mean, what kind of funky powers would the characters have that you would need to replicate? Not, <laughs> not that, many. Really. I, I, I don't. I don't many. Uh, it depends what type of uh, pre-gen characters will do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just because of the. I think we'll actually. Yeah, we'll stick with framework. I mean, the whole problem with framework it has some weird statistics in there, as Mike has yeah. wonderful spreadsheets on. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um but yeah i mean the main thing is i think we're looking at is just kind of like suggesting a better system for it in future when we cover it on a darker days dark thing and and eventually a pdf about changes to the setting to just to, to make, make, it, more make it a little less rapey yeah <laughs> Yeah, and a little less hokey in places because there's some good stuff there, but the reasoning behind some of the things being done is a little bit just a bit feels a little bit too happenstance, and the ideas yeah, incorporate incorporating in make it feel a bit more nuanced or like like everything is just one big clusterfuck. Um, yeah. And yeah, that'll be good to do. And yeah. we can as I, as I proved to Chris last night, you can play Harry Dresden in Cthulhu Tech. Like straight yeah. up, you um, love that guy. You love Harry Dresden. <sighs> Freaking hate Dresden Files, man. Not in Cthulhu Tech, though. Yeah. yeah, that in particular is like what I mean by there's some hokey shit in there, and it's kind of like it's. I think some some valid comparison that can be done is is trying to get in some of the thought processes in how you would run a Unhallowed Metropolis game into a call of uh, into a into a Cthulhu Tech game because yeah. you know there's all this massive stuff with you know Cthulhu's coming and Hastas about and there's all this massive war going on but how much does depending on what scale of game you're playing how much of that information is common knowledge and how much of it is not and what yeah, is absolutely due to that is it is it constantly within the game or is it the backdrop 
And yeah. I think these are things that that Casilitech didn't in the core book did not reinforce it's, it's definitely a game that could do with a revised edition to kind of oh, odd yes yeah no, it no, up no, no, and, and make kinda, it i kind of feel like see uh, like cthulhu tech kind of missed its calling as as background for a really awesome miniature game <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah we're going to do a bit of that and then the other thing i've got coming up will be um which i'm writing as a kind of a, a sass light and this ties into forgotten law five which we're trying to, i've already got one submission so send us stuff uh i have no theme for the for the issue and trying to do a theme for the issue seems to be more effort than it's worth um so i'm yeah. doing a uh i'm writing a a, a lightweight version of a sass um because obviously a sass is a very involved thing uh to write um uh a water darkness mortals game which is kind of based on my hometown with a few things, you know, mixed in. So think Hot Fuzz with horror. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Like, um, yeah. you, and, you, so, you and I still need to get together and, and, and discuss Fading Suns, don't we? Uh, well, I think that's something we definitely need to organize very soon because yeah. Yeah, there's nothing new on the Fading Suns front, so we may as well wax lyrical about oh. how it's great. Yeah, it's well. Third edition is um, whatever they're calling it. Revised edition is Five is edition. out. It's no such. I call it no effort edition. Um, oh, really? <laughs> it, have you looked at the PDF for it? No, it, I haven't. I, I've, I've it, I haven't had a chance. I got, I got very little spare cash right now. It's very poor layout. I looked at uh, uh, I, oh, I got a copy of it, and I obviously it's very poorly. I mean, the layout. There's no effort put into it, and. And uh, I think the only thing they fixed was uh, how you botch in Fading Suns. Because, you know, in Fading Suns, it's a D20. Yeah, yeah. And if you a one, you're screwed. And, of course, you know, no matter how skilled you are, you'll screw up quite often. They kind of massaged that area of the rules, um, oh, which is enough. fair enough. But that, that's all they've done. They haven't done really done much else to it. So Okay, sure. I, I kind of run Fading Suns. So it's like... Um, Unhallowed Metropolis, so I use a 2d10 because that obviously means mm. that you've got a nice bell curve. Um, yeah, good point there, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so things to look forward to from Darker Days. <laughs> Straight up. Okay, okay, okay. I think we need to close up this episode. Uh, of yep, course, you can thing. check out Darker Days at uh, on Facebook at Darker Days on Facebook, Darker Days Radio. And uh, we also have our G Plus community, which is uh, Darker Days Radio on G Plus. Check that out, definitely. Uh, of course, we're going to have Cthulhu Tech coming up. Uh, Andrew Bampton, who played Brother Jeremiah in the Gypsies game, uh, he's going to be running a Gargoyles game um, wow. using V20 rules. And I think it's Dark Ages setting. So, cool. Should be awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, on Twitter, we are at Darker Days Radio as well. And if you want to send us an email, do darkdaysradio at gmail.com. That's the email also to send any submissions for Forgotten Law. So basically, uh, submissions should be anything from, well, NPCs and pre generated characters, uh, story hook ideas and adventures. Uh, try and keep them kind of like SAS, but kind of smaller. Um, or uh, artifacts, relics, spells, new rules, or even short stories, and I will attempt to edit them with help from people who are more skilled at the English language than even me. Um, <laughs> I have more time. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty rocking. 
Definitely. All right, Chris, thank you very much. Uh, Peter as well. Awesome episode. Maybe I'm going to go back while I'm editing and actually do a secret frequency. I don't know. (laughs) You crazy fool. Maybe. Yeah, why not? We'll come up with something. (laughs) Right on. All right, everyone. I think that's it. Good night. I hit the record button, but we're not really discussing anything yet. Mm. And uh, let's um, fuck it. Let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get her done. Right and we on. go live in three, two, one. Fuck! Wait, what am I supposed to do? Okay, okay, we go live <laughs> in three, two, one.